And so without further ado, I would like to welcome and introduce our speaker today, our very own Reverend Patrick Cameron, who holds the highest vision for us all. I'll try that again. Good morning. I just have to pass Brown a note. Perfect. All right. So if you'd like to join me in a song and a prayer, and some like to stand while we do that, please feel free to stand if you so choose. In this very room, there's quite enough love. For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit, one spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room Know with me, one life, God's life perfect life, my life now and always. And in that declaration, I know that I am shifted and changed. I elevate my frequency of vibration and I tune into that infinite conversation. And so I know that God is everywhere in general, but nowhere in particular until we step into that intimate relationship. And I give thanks for that. I know that the right and perfect things continue to express themselves in and through and as each and every one of us this day. I'm grateful beforehand for the beautiful, beautiful opportunities that continue to show up in my life and your life as we stand in beautiful concert and harmony with that life force. For this I give thanks, releasing these words in gratitude and appreciation and and in the faith and knowing that every good thing is on its way here and now and here now. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. Thank you, Brown. All right. Well, we have dipped back into our book that we began the year with, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it's a wonderful book, and today's sharing is called A Solid Foundation which is really uh, inspired by the the title of the chapter, which is Building a New Home in Your Zone of Genius. Building a New Home in Your Zone of Genius. Anybody here interested in living in their genius? Living from their genius? A few people in the front. Seems to taper off as we get farther back. (laughs) I think we all do. Building a new home in your zone of genius. I mean, I think we're tripwired for that. And so there's some questions that I want to share with you today because I think they help guide us in that direction. And what we do here is, is it's spiritual practice. It's tools to help 
and bring those tools into our lives. And it takes time. And it takes, and it takes the discipline also to incorporate them. I came to the uh, Toastmasters uh, uh, competition here yesterday and uh, our own uh, Tamara Godet won the, the speech um, competition for the humorous speech. And I know that it was announced by Reverend Connie. And it was a wonderful thing to watch because in it, one of the questions that Gay Hendricks asked us to uh, explore and look at is what do we love to do most? And it was obvious watching Tamara get up and do her speech that she was in her, her genius zone and, and the, the love and the energy that she shared. So it was an energetic, it was a consciousness. It wasn't just the words and the presentation, which were also very good. But it was that joy and, that, and that, uh, that conveyance of that joy. And so when we have that joy conveyed to us, it gives us permission to step into joy. Isn't it interesting how that becomes a contagion in our life and it starts to inform our life? So when we stand in the joy together, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. So the first question that Gay asked at the beginning of this chapter, building a new home in your zone of genius, is what is my genius? What is my genius? And that's a great question. What is our genius? Because it sounds like a great idea. And a lot of times we get, we get trapped in the zone of complacency or we get trapped in the zone of, of uh, excellence. Because excellence is a zone. And a lot of people operate from excellence. And m- most people want us to stay in excellence because that we're comfortable knowing who you are. That's how we know one another. So why would we want to move out of the zone of excellence into the zone of genius when excellence is a wonderful place to be? And it is a good place to be. But there's always more to know and there's always more to express. And that's the infinite, that's, Dr. Holmes talked about divine discontent. So what is my genius is the first question at the beginning of this chapter. And number two, then how can I bring forth my genius in ways that serve others and myself at the same time? How can I bring forth my genius in ways that serve others and myself at the same time? Which is, you know, another, another wonderful question to ask and work with. Because if we are, if our good in any way, shape, or form takes away from another, it's not our good. There's no private good, as Dr. Holmes used to say. So one of the things he invites us to do at the beginning of this is to work with the phrase, I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. And once we start to to speak those words, things will start to happen for us. Our word is the way we activate and impress upon this infinite law a new idea. And as we work with the idea and it becomes more and more real to us, it will start to inform us. And the whole environment will start to inform us. But it's a practice. Laura, and I, Laura my wife Laura and I were talking the other day about the multiplication tables. And uh, it took me three years in grammar school to learn the multiplication tables because I refused. I wasn't going to learn them. And then I learned them and I thought, well, it's pretty easy. But my resistance, uh, but it took me a period of time. And most of it was resistance on my part, just being stubborn. And I use them all the time now. Of course, we all do. But it took more than one time for me to learn the multiplication tables. It's probably going to take us more than one time of asking ourselves, what is my genius? How can I bring forth my genius in ways that serve others and myself at the same time? And the commitment to living in my zone of genius now and forever. Emma Curtis Hopkins was the teacher of teachers. And Emma had, she had four steps in her practice. 
She said, whenever we're in a situation, and our, our life is really a laboratory. If we look at our lives and see how it's working, it informs us. Are we living in joy? Are we living in freedom? Are we living in our genius? Because sometimes we can hop into our genius, as Gay Hendricks said. We'll hop into it and then we'll hop out. Because it's foreign to us. He was playing, he was, he was writing, and, and his granddaughters were there, playing with a friend in the book, in this chapter. And um, one of the granddaughters said to him, Grandpa, what are you writing about? And he said, well, I'm writing about the, the ULP, which is the upper limit problem. And so he said, well, I'm writing about the ULP because the little girls have been exposed to the ideas and been nurtured in this environment of, of possibility. And so one of the girls' uh, companions, one of the little girls' companions said, what is that? And, and the little granddaughter said, well, that's when you start to have good things happen in your life, the, the upper limit problem, and then you, you mess it up because you can't, you can't handle feeling good all the time. And he thought that, and he's typing as fast as he can because it's brilliant and it's coming from the mouth of a five-year-old. And she said, you know, like when we go to school and, and uh, uh, Johnny uh, Salazar kicks the, the soccer ball over the fence after we've been playing and having fun for a while? And she says, yeah. Well, she said, that's an example because he can only have fun so long and then he's got to kick the ball over the fence. It's got to stop. <laughs> but it's a great metaphor for how we do it in life because most of us are not used to feeling great about ourselves all the time. A lot of people aren't. And one of the things that I shared earlier and I think is so important is that the world needs us. The world needs awake people. If you were here Friday night, it was such a great uh, talk by Dr. Ken talking about the impact that this teaching has in the world. Because there are a lot of people, if you look out in the world, that don't agree with a lot of the things that we stand for. And it, it's okay because we're, we're not here to convince them. We're here to convince ourselves which is a wonderful relief, isn't it? That we don't have to go out and convert anybody. We just have to keep converting ourselves. We need to continue changing our mind and keep it changed. Because I can change my mind a million times a day. But if I go right back to my entrenched way of thinking, and that's why Emma said this, Emma Curtis Hopkins, the teacher of teachers, said this, think it through. So take the idea and think it through. What is my, what is my genius? And you may not know right now, but something within you will inform that because that is that conversation. And it's spiritual practice. That's what meditation is about. That's what the practice of affirmative prayer is about. What is my genius? So think it through. And think it through. And every day think it through. This is practice, just like the multiplication tables, just like anything that you've learned in your life. Think it through. Number two, write it down. We're doing that right now in the Prosperity Plus. We're writing our vision statement about our lives. And last week, it wasn't about what you think you want. It's about what you love. What do you love? What brings you to life? And that's something we can work with. What do you love? That's unique unto you and unique unto me. So think it through. Write it down. Use your word. Use your word. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. And number four is to take the action. Take the action. What does it take? Dr. Holmes said it. He said, realization without application is hallucination. <clears throat> it is. You can have the idea. You can have the awareness. But if you don't act upon it, it's just, a, it's just another dream you're having. There was a, there was a man that, that uh, was sitting in his backyard one day, and this, this dog walks in, comes in through the back um, hedge and he walks over and the man pets him and says hi and this goes on for a few days and he seems to be a really friendly dog but he doesn't have a tag on but he has a collar on 
And so after this goes on for a few days, and he greets the dog every afternoon, just after lunch, the dog starts to want to follow him into the house. So the man lets the dog into the house, and the dog goes down the hallway, and he does the, you know how dogs do, they'll circle before they lay down, it's instinctive. And the dog will lie down, and he takes about a two-hour nap. And so then the dog, when he's done with his nap, he'd get up and he'd let the guy know he wants to go out. So this goes on for about two weeks, and the guy says, you know, I probably should contact the owner and let him know this is happening. You know, might be worried about where their dog is for a few hours every afternoon. So he writes a note out, and on it he, he writes his name, and he says, I just want to let you know that if every day around 1.30 your dog comes over and takes a nap till about 3.30 or 4 o'clock. If you're wondering where he is, and so the dog comes back the next day, and he tapes it to the collar. He comes back the next day with a note, another note on his collar. And uh, the neighbor says, thank you very much for letting me know where our dog is in the afternoon. And I should probably let you know that he lives in a house with six children, and two of them are under the age of three. So he's probably there catching up on his sleep. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to come with him tomorrow afternoon. We all got to catch up on our sleep. Think it through, write it down, use your word and action. And Emma says, and, and so what Emma says is, you do this with everything. This is her practice. Emma was an amazing teacher. Think it through. Does this work for you? What is my zone of genius? And so the clues for that, and how can I bring forth my genius and, and share it with others, is building a new home in your zone of genius. What do I love to do most? Is the first question she asks about discovering genius. What do I love to do most? What are the things that you love to do? If we look around us, we see clues of it when you watch the musicians play. And they, uh, you know, the, that whole, the whole musical thing is, as Reverend Connie said, it's the, poem, it's the poetry, it's the story, it's the prayer. But it, it, there's clues for all of us. What is it that you love to do the most? I love it so much I can do it for long stretches of time without getting tired or bored. Number two, what, what work do I do that doesn't seem like work? So what activities do you have in your life that don't, don't seem like work? It's another clue. Love to do it, and it doesn't seem like work when you do it. Number three, in my work, what produces the highest ratio of abundance and satisfaction to the amount of time spent? So what has the greatest return in terms of abundance, not just financially, but what has the greatest return in your life? See, I'm an excellent carpenter. I can build anything. I built this, this stage that we're standing on. And, and, you know, and, and I remember the time in my life when I'd done my apprenticeship long enough, because I didn't have a formal apprenticeship, but I remember saying to myself, I can build anything. It was a wonderful feeling. But it was my zone of excellence. And I still use it to this day. And there are pieces of it that I would hop into the zone of genius. But most of the time, as I've said in the past, the economic pressures were so... Uh, I, could, I didn't deal with them well, so they, it, it sort of kept me in complacency in that, in that sense of pressure. So it's very difficult to, to step into your zone of genius when you feel that, that push. But it, for me, I can relate to that. It's one of my zones of excellence. And then number four, what is my unique ability? So someone asked me after the first service, it's always great to hear what's informing people. You know, one is, okay, I've got my genius. Isn't my genius and my unique ability one and the same? Well, it is and it isn't because as he uses the metaphor in this, in this uh, chapter, he talks about the, the Russian dolls. You know, there's the dolls inside the dolls, the, the little doll and then the bigger doll and the bigger doll, and you open them up and they're, they're like four or five or six that are all contained within that 
one doll. He said, in discovering your unique ability, you filter it down to your unique gift you give to the world. And someone else somewhere else may have the same gift, but it's a, a gift that you can use in your environment and your culture. And so it, it's the filtering of it. So one is, a, one is the idea of what is my genius, and the other is then uh, fine-tuning it and filtering it down and down and down. So what do I most love to do? What work do I do that doesn't seem like work? In my work, what provides the highest ratio of of abundance and satisfaction to the amount of time spent? And what is my unique ability? So they're great questions to work with. And Gay Hendricks says this, as you start to move into this, you're building a new home in your zone of genius. This is a new foundation. When you build, having been a builder and a carpenter most of my life, you've got to start with a level square foundation. Have you ever seen the Leaning Tower of Pisa? I don't think they started on a very good foundation. That's just my guess. <clears throat> but that happens. You know, if you've ever gone and looked at an older home anywhere in the world, including Edmonton, you know, people say, oh, the foundation is shot. And, and it doesn't mean it's irreparable, but it usually is so costly to go, go in and do, redo the foundation that it becomes cost prohibitive. But a foundation is so important. So these questions can guide us there. And I was, um, I was in Southern California, and I was, I was traveling with my dad, and my, my son was in the back seat. He's about five and a half years old at the time. And one of my sisters was pregnant, and she, we were talking about the pregnancy, and, and my son Matt says, you know, Dad, I understand where babies come from. They come from mom's stomach. But he said, but how did they get there in the first place? And so I paused because I wanted, you know, my dad's sitting there. There's double pressure. I got the five-and-a-half-year-old, and I got grandpa there, and you want to say something that's appropriate for both. And I wanted to show how wise and wonderful I was explaining this. And so I was, I was thinking about it, and before I could answer, because I thought about it for probably a good minute, my son says, you know, Dad, it's okay if you don't know, because you don't have to make something up. <laughs> I said, thank you, Matt. I don't know. <laughs> but it was a wonderful gift. Gave me permission not to know. I give you permission not to know. And many times when we, when we work with this material, um, and we ask the questions, Gay Hendricks says, unless you're very lucky or very enlightened, you're likely to hear those nattering voices and feel those nagging fears within you. They're part of, it, they're part of the deal. I won't try to talk you out of them, and you shouldn't try to talk yourself out of them. Just notice the voices and feel the fears. Just notice the voices and feel the fears. That's all you need to do with them. You don't need to, get to rid yourself of them. Where would they go anyway? All you need to do is acknowledge them, wave to them, let them know you're aware of them, and then get busy to live in your zone of genius. And this is another form of denial. In the steps that Emma has, think it through, write it down, Use your word. In using your word, what they're talking about is the awareness that you bring to the things, those, those voices that are habitual, that keep us entrenched in our zone of excellence or our zone of complacency. It's not to go to war with them, but it is the denial step that is so powerful, that this idea no longer has any influence or power in my experience. That's the denial. It's not denial. You know, it's not, there's an elephant in the room and I can't see it. You know, try not to think of a monkey when I tell you that. It's not that kind of denial. It is denying the power that we've given to it. 
the ideas, whatever the idea may be that is alive for us that is no longer serving us, whatever it is, because it's plastic. It, it is plastic to our thinking and to our consciousness. And it's so simple, and yet it can become so difficult because all of a sudden we'll have things, we'll be in situations where the fear will kick in, and then we forget. And that's why we practice. That's why we have spiritual practice. In this story, he talks about his friends. He went to a class reunion. He's a therapist and a counselor. And he said there were about 50 students that all came together and, uh, uh, for the reunion. And he had said about half of them had gone into private practice and half had done, gone into academics and become professors. And the academic guys were jealous of the guys that had gone in, uh, to, to the private practice. There was a jealousy between the, the, the teachers and the therapists. Because the teachers felt like the, the private practice guys had all the money. Well, the private practice guys were jealous of the teachers because they had all the time. So the guys in private practice wanted to develop books and videos and things and didn't have the time. And the professors were solid in what they were asked to do, had more time, but didn't have the resources. And, and he said out of 50 people in that group, about five of them were happy. About five of them were living in their zone of genius. About 10%. Isn't it interesting? He said, so what they did, a lot of them got their MBAs. They got their masters in their fields. So that was a hop. They would hop into their zone of genius. But they didn't live in their zone of genius. It's different to live from a 24-7. So education does not guarantee anything if we're not going to express it as our genius. And if it lines up for us, especially if it's not our dream, if it's somebody else's dream. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever. My son, Matt, one day, the one that gave me permission not to know, one day he came into the room, and he was about four, and he had one finger up one nostril, one finger up another nostril. I said, Matt, don't be, don't be picking your nose. He goes, I'm not picking my nose. I'm checking to see if it needs to be picked. <laughs> so he was thinking it through, I guess, is what he was doing. Think it through, write it down, use your word, and take the action. And what Emma recommends is to continually do that. We're doing this Prosperity Plus class right now, and it's a wonderful class because we're retraining ourselves, myself included, in some principles. And one of the tasks that we're asked to do, not only we're doing the vision statement, but every day for about 15 minutes is to clean something up, tidy something up, because the first rule of the universe is order. So yesterday, I spent about a half an hour getting all my socks sorted and put together. I think I have enough socks to live the rest of my life <laughs> once I got them all put together. Would you say I do, Laura? Yeah. Yeah, I got pl plenty. In fact, I may be giving some away for Christmas now that I know where they all are. But what it is, it is, it is a practice. So every day, I've spent about 15 minutes tidying something. And it's a practice, and it sends a message to ourselves. It always sends a message to the infinite that there's, there's an order there now. Because if there's no order, if it's chaos in our thinking or there's chaos in our environment, it's very difficult for the blessings to show up. And the, the, the first law of the universe is order. There's simple practices within this course, but there's a collective agreement with the group, and there's practices. And, 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 and to continue to use the practices in our lives because it taps into a new energetic. It's a vibratory thing. That's what affirmative prayer is about. That's what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness just frees us energetically to lift ourselves up to a higher frequency of living, of joy, of possibility. I was watching Tamara do her speech yesterday, and it was just obvious. She just glowed. She stood up here 
I don't know if you've ever seen her, but she's the young lady that usually sits on the center aisle there, and she's got the seeing eye dog. She lost her vision 11 years ago. She was not blind. She wasn't born blind. But she tells this amazing, hilarious, true story. It's just, it, what a gem. What an inspiration. I told her she was at the first service. So what, a, what a joy to watch you up there. And it, it is contagious. And, and there's no reason why we can't live in that all the time. We don't have to kick the soccer ball over the wall because we can't handle too much good. You know, the feeling is that the feeling we get as things are going along well, oh, it's, you know, it's going to go sideways here any minute. We're going to crash and burn at any minute. I remember growing up with that mindset. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if that's still alive for you, and when it's still alive for me to have the tools to say, I deny the energy to this, this is no longer true for me. Up until now, whatever it is, whatever the words are, because I've made a new vow to myself. I've made a new commitment to live in my genius. Now and forever. Now and forever. And then see what starts to inform you. That declaration, you can't stay in that complacency and that, and that consciousness of criticism and complacency. But it's easy because many people are used to that. And it's okay. They can, they can do that. We don't have to fix them. But we, we can have the conversation with ourselves and lift ourselves up. It is that. It is that revelation. You read anything by Ernest Holmes or any of the great mystics that came down through the ages. It's all there. It lifts us up. I got this, this uh, on the um, internet, I got this, this letter from Carol Carnes today. Because you're living a great life blesses everyone. You're living a great life blesses everyone. And, and she says this, good morning and happy Global Oneness Day. Today is Global Oneness Day. And Carol's the senior uh, spiritual director and senior minister in, in Calgary. In 1999 at our synthesis dialogues in India, we asked His Holiness the Dalai Lama what was the most important thing for humans to know at the turn of the century. And he replied, the fact of our oneness. That is my message today and all days, really. The fact of our oneness. I share, <clears throat> I share our vision and mission to awaken humanity to its spiritual magnificence, knowing this is the only way to an awakened world that works for everyone. The world needs you. The world needs us. To wake up and stay awake. And share our gifts. And when we find ourselves in the spiritual practices, when we find ourselves being pulled back down into the complacency and the criticism and the cynicism that is so popular, to realize this doesn't represent me anymore. It used to, or maybe it never did, which is wonderful. But that's the spiritual practice, to have the presence of mind to say, I'm not going there with you. I can't spin out with you. You know, I watch, I watch people go through this stuff here. And I know one of the things that I, I just cannot afford to do is spin out with someone when they're depressed or sad about something. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean I don't care. Dr. Ken had a great thing he said to me. He said, I've learned in ministry. We have a lot of parallels, and we're very close. He said, I've learned in ministry, and, and I've learned this lesson as well. He said, I can show up, and my, my goal can be to be likable and nice, or my goal can be to be kind and loving. If you're, you're looking to be likable and nice, you're probably going to spin out emotionally with folks. But if you show up to be kind and loving, kind is about telling the truth and telling it with compassion and love. And it's, about, and it's about an energetic, it's about lifting yourself up. The love is really the love of the, of the sacred heart, as Ken would call it. And we had a wonderful discussion for a few hours about it. I can show up likable and nice or kind and loving. And my experience with that has been is that we get clarity about who we are and whose we are. 
and we start to tap into what our genius is, and then we hold the high vision, because that's what Emma says, Emma Curtis Hopkins, she said, these four practices will keep you holding the high watch. What is your vision and what do you stand for and letting that continue to pull you forward? What is it? What is it? What is your genius? And how may you share it to benefit yourself and others? Think it through. Write it down. Speak your word and take the action. And it's a wonderful, it, this is a wonderful, wonderful community and, and, and tradition to be part of. It's ancient wisdom. So it is. Thank <laughs> you.